This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader this station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere tonight at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. So hello and welcome to the Shattered Lives podcast, the Irish Daily Stars crime podcast. And today we are doing yet another week in crime. It's been another tumultuous week in Ireland. Up and down the country, plenty of crime has been committed. So without further ado, to introduce uh, the Stars crime correspondent, Michael O'Toole. How are you, Michael? Knackered, Paul. How are you? (laughs) Also knackered, yeah. It's just been another uh, extraordinary week. And in particular, a lot of um, things have happened really within a very close proximity to each other. One locality uh, that is in County Louth, uh, the Dundalk area. I think we should probably talk about that first, should we? Yeah, and even if you if we want to extend it very briefly to the whole of County Louth, unfortunately, on Thursday afternoon there was a, a fatal traffic accident in the centre of Drogheda, and a man was killed. So, and and even earlier in the week, uh, in in Carlingford or near on the way out from Dundalk towards Omeath, there were two people on jet ski. I think it was who were critically injured in an incident and sadly one of the men, the, the man who was involved in it in the crash died from his injury. So it's 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 been a very bad week for County Loud. There's been a lot of bad things happening. Yeah, really bad things happening. Uh, I suppose I'll talk about the one I covered first, which is this freak accident, just this horrible incident really. And, and our thoughts go out to uh, the victim in this case is a 62-year-old man was just walking down one of the main streets there in Dundalk. Uh, minding his own business when uh, I'm calling it the roof section of a building but it's 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 kind of like a a brick wall on the front of the roof really just on the very front of the property uh, just collapsed and fell down onto the street and while this man was walking uh, sadly struck him um, and, and very seriously injured him. And now, as at the time of recording this podcast, his condition is described as critical and he's in Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital there. Uh, I suppose what kind of drew the headlines and made it just even more, I suppose, extraordinary and unusual is that this happened right above the offices of a, a local senator there, Senator John McGahan. Now, uh, the senator hasn't spoken on this. I'm, I'm sure that perhaps he's in, in shock and in distress about this. I, can, I can't imagine that it's, uh, that it's easy for him um, but I went up there myself yesterday and just the, the scene was just shocking. I mean, it was just a huge, massive pile of bricks. I mean, you could see the extent of the damage straight away. And there were shocking photographs and videos circulating not long after the incident. And you could sadly see the man lying on the street. So it was very, very serious. Um, and just there was a sense of shock just up and down the street. Several people had witnessed it and heard it, heard a loud bang. And the the overall sense that I got from people was it could have been anyone really it could have happened to anyone and it could have been even so much worse than it was um yeah really sad yeah and it is true and I understand that I mean a couple of seconds maybe less than a minute earlier a woman had walked past the same scene with a, a buggy with really? a, 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 a young baby yeah so look it's terrible for this man but yeah I mean I'm not going to say it could be worse because this man's very very critically injured but I, th- I, th- I think it's safe to say that that lady and the, the child or the, the baby in the buggy were very, very lucky 
doesn't bear thinking about really no I suppose outside of just covering it as a story it really shows you the the randomness the cruelness of life doesn't it it's very sad just that I suppose something like that can happen to you and I mean look please God this man pulls through and he's okay but I mean he was very very seriously injured from this and yeah it just it's just it's just shocking that, that's the one one of the things that I've really realised doing this job how fickle life can be but you know say for example I mean particularly car crashes and incidents something like this because there are very few murders in Ireland and we've spoken about this where there's no connection between the killer and, and the victim. Very, very, very few. Um, I mean, I've said this, I remember one year there were 67 homicides and only two were unconnected in some way and they were both sex crimes uh, uh, carried out on women walking home by men. Total random, total, totally strangers. But usually, you know, there's a connection. But there, it always gets to me when there is, you know, it's that old cliche about the wrong place and the wrong time. That man was in the wrong place and the wrong time. He was doing about it, going about his normal business. But it's, and even, you know, how many car crashes have we, have we covered where somebody leaves early or leaves later than they should and they get involved in a crash? And it's just how random and how cruel and you can just be so totally unlucky. Like that man was on Thursday. Completely. And then, I mean, it's just a, a, a tragic uh, day, a week for the Dundalk area. I mean, only just, what, mere 300 metres around the corner there on, is it Bridge Street? Uh, there was an incident which I understand at the time of recording this now has been upgraded officially to a murder investigation. So you were working a bit on this. Yeah, I was working on this with John Hand yesterday and I'm working on it today. So it's a lady called Catherine Henry. She would have lived uh, uh, on Bridge Street, which is in the centre of town. Now, I think she was found <coughs> in, effectively at the, uh, in the house on Wednesday evening. And, and news didn't emerge about it until Thursday afternoon, which is quite rare because things usually come out very quickly. But but essentially, um, they were looking at it suspicious, as suspicious, but I think that was firmed up throughout the day. And they the, the guards uh, issued a press release late. Uh, on th- on Wednesday night, Thursday morning, saying it had been upgraded to a murder night. In case like this, as is their want, they didn't release the results of the post-mortem for operational reasons, but uh, the belief would be that she had suffered blunt force trauma, so she'd been very badly assaulted. Now, um, there is a person of interest. Um, my understanding is that person uh, was arrested yet on Thursday afternoon over a separate matter and it was outside, it was well outside, it was actually in in another part of Leinster, a, a, a good, maybe a hundred miles away, a good long while away. But my understanding is that this man had, before the murder, this man had been receiving hospital treatment. He then signed himself out of the hospital and went to this lady's house and whatever happened, happened. And then he... Uh, went back to I have to be very careful what we're saying because it's a, a, a live case but I think we can we can say that he went back to the location where he'd been to spoke to somebody and then presented him, presented himself back to the the, the, the medical centre of the hospital where he has had been treated but later that night he was arrested over uh, an aggravated burglary that is alleged to have happened elsewhere so that man's in custody but I think this will be a very fast moving investigation and I wouldn't be surprised if after this pod comes out, that man is, is arrested over the murder uh, of the poor lady. 
Uh, it's just a dreadful, sad case, isn't it? But and it's and 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 sorry, there was another horror yesterday in Dundalk. A young man had been missing for I think it was about a week. He'd been missing, and he was he was he was found in, in the river in Dundalk yesterday. So I know the mother had been very upset, obviously, and had been putting loads of appeals out on social media and everything. So look, I think Dundalk has obviously been really traumatized by what has happened in the last three or four days, if you include the poor man. Out in Carlingford, it's it's terrible tragedy for for everybody involved, and I think it's fair to say that the town is really in shock by all the incidents that happened this week. And as I said, if you extend it, the drama has been a terrible mm-hmm. week for County Life. Absolutely, um, we're shifting on to a very different topic now. Uh, well, we might just yeah, talk sorry. just just what we're talking about uh, just before we go into what you're going to talk about. We might just talk about. I'm covering another murder. There was another murder late on Thursday night, but it was in an Enniscorthy in County Fax. And we'll just talk about this because we talked about the the, the, the murder of Miss Henry. Um, and it appears in Enniscorthy in County Wexford on Thursday evening, a man was stabbed to death. Now, I've been making inquiries and we've established his identity. He's actually a, a Polish man, very well regarded. There's a significant Polish community in the Enniscorthy area, several hundred people actually, and he'd be very well known. And he only got married in Rome in September last year and from what I can see he seemed to enjoy life a lot because he had a lot of pictures of himself travelling all around the world and a lot of his friends were talking to him about treks and everything he had done. So I understand he'd been living in Enniscorthy from around 2014. Um, The the guards have arrested someone, they're obviously following a, a certain line of inquiry but it's just terrible the way two lives are taken so quickly in the space of probably 24 hours. Yeah, you know what's sad about covering these things is that they're becoming almost so commonplace that you'd near, and I'm I'm not trying to to belittle them, but you, you that you do nearly not forget about them, but you're moving on to it, it, just in covering it as a crime reporter. You're covering we're covering them so often now that you'd nearly forget about the one that happened the previous day, just given the frequency of them. Have you noticed that that there just seems to be, I mean, murders just seem to be on the increase, or they becoming more commonplace. Well, in twenty. I keep a stat of all the, the murders uh, and I should get it. I might, when you're talking next time, we'll go and get it. I, murders were at their lowest since 19, since records because that I could find since 1975 in 2022. So there was a significant, 2021 rather. So there's a significant reduction. I think it went back up again a good bit in 2022. Do you know what? This sounds terrible, but I think it's going to be another normal year. We're probably going to have somewhere between 35 and 50 homicides this year. Now, I do it, I'm a 32 county person, so I do it in the whole island, right? But really, for the Republic, you're probably talking, yeah, 30, 35. Uh, There may be higher, there may be spikes some years. 2016 was a bad year, part of that, and 2017 were bad years, part of that was the feuds, the the Ken and Hutch feud. But really, the homicide rate is quite stable. Now, I think you've raised an interesting point. I think we have to, for, to sort of move on and sort of forget them because even for our mental health as crime reporters, because if you if you really focused and took on board every murder, I think your mental health would suffer significantly. Now that might sound as pretty cruel, but we, we, we have to sort of protect ourselves, I think. And one way we do that is by trying not to dwell on every case we've covered. I was, I was, uh, I, I was talking to a, a deputy, a TD, about something just a couple of hours ago and uh, it was a very bad and 
it reminded me of a really bad case and she was tangentially involved in this case and I was telling her about how much it affected me. It was the anacrasial murder and um, and I was just chatting with her. Uh, it was it was uh, Catherine Murphy because she would have known the family. That's I always I always said to her, look, whenever I see Deputy Murphy on TV or radio, I always think of anacrasial. Right, and she was and she was saying that that's not uncommon. She said a number of journalists who covered that case spoke to her about it, and a number of them said they wanted to get out after covering it. So I think we do have to protect ourselves. I found it very hard to get to cover that case myself. I have to say, and I didn't do it all, thankfully. But you know, it, it's the it's the great unspoken thing. I think that you know how it affects us. So we do have to protect ourselves, and if that means forgetting about cases, we have to forget about cases and move on. Yeah, well, I mean, there was an incident which, you know, for legal reasons, I can't really go into much detail about it, but there was an incident there uh, last year in uh, the Tala area, which was very bad. And it was, you know, um, three three children lost their lives. That one, I think I'll probably never forget it. Like, just it's just a horrendous uh, tragedy. It's the, it's the ones like that, yeah, that are hard to forget. Would you agree, a friend of ours would always say to me, Really, the ones that get to you are women and children. Yeah, hundred percent, definitely children uh, in particular. Uh, uh, sadly, um, it's a terrible statistic. But men are most often killing women, and 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 those and those crimes are just so frequent. Um, I'm not saying you become desensitized to them, but they're they're just so commonplace, you know. But in particular, whenever a child is murdered, yeah, it's just hard to get your head around. And I'm I'm I'm, I'm 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 a father of three kids, so, and I think when you when you, when kids do come along, it does, it makes it much more concentrated. I'll put it that way. You know what I mean? And I don't know whether you empathise. You put your kids in the shoes of the kids who've been murdered or whatever. You know, but guards would talk about this. So I, I think we sort of suffer a vicarious trauma that the guards would they're closer to it, but we cover enough and we hear details that maybe most members of the public wouldn't. So I, I find yeah. women and kids very upsetting. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I never really thought about it that way. And I've never really, it might sound like I'm trying to be humble or something, but genuinely I've never, I've never thought about it. Like, I mean, we're only, I suppose, coming in afterwards and covering it and reporting on it. But yeah, that one, that Tala one is sticking out in my mind as, yeah, I, that one stuck with me. And, and it's cases like that that do nearly make you uh, consider your career sometimes that, you know, and, and go, what? Well, just when you mentioned this, there is why... The reason why I brought this up, I was the University of Limerick, or UCC, sorry, contacted me. They're doing a, a study about, I think they call it second level or second stage trauma of court reporters. Right. And uh, so they're asking me and I, they're asking others. I wouldn't be a court reporter. I do. I, I'm not a full time court reporter like you, but we cover courts and we cover lots of courts and we cover lots of horrendous things. And it's the first time that has ever been examined about how court reporters or people like us who cover reports are made feel this has never been examined so look it, it look it can be hard so anything that in my view anything journalists can do without being blasé to protect themselves we should do yeah maybe we should go to a therapist maybe. <laughs> you know but I, 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 I sound like i'm making light of it but yeah i mean you, you do you cover all these things and you compartmentalize don't you and yeah well i i, I have gone to a therapist and i look i mean I, they're very good and he was always sort of saying that he thinks I've got an element of PTSD because of all the things I've covered and maybe I have but look ther- therapists are very good I'll, I'll put it that way and mental health is really important so we are in a stage where we do we should protect ourselves more absolutely um, shall we talk about lighter things maybe yes not, maybe not lighter things because you've, you've caused a bit of a diplomatic incident but anyway Disneyland 
Paris and the Gardaí. What's the story? This, I'm going to talk about how I got the story because people might find it interesting about how these stories come on because they just see it in the paper, right? Or up on the Mirror website. And they don't really see it. There's always a, a backstory to a, a story. So a couple of weeks ago, the, the guards did a Darkness in the Light march parade at Templemore Garda College in Tipperary. And I was looking at it and I did a publicity shot. There were maybe 200 guards in the, and it was in the middle of the night and they were all wearing their guard uniforms. But just over in the corner, I noticed four gendarmerie. And I was going, what is the story there? So I wanted to do a story. Essentially, there were four members of the Gendarmerie Nationale from France who were over on an exchange. So I wanted to try and interview them. But by the time the photos were out, they were gone. So I was speaking to the Garda Press Office and they were saying, look, eh, we can do something with this, but it's a French thing. So you'll have to talk to the French embassy. I said, no problem. So I, I contacted the French embassy and they said, yeah, yeah, we can do that. We can talk about this. And the ambassador would like to talk to you about it. So I said, happy days. It's not every day you get uh, invited to talk to an, an ambassador. So I went in, oh, I think it was, was it Wednesday? I went in on Wednesday. And now, it was made clear to me that there were plenty of questions I wanted to ask because I've got a chance to interview ambassadors. So I wanted to ask, say, for example, about the Sophie Toscan de Plantier case. I wanted to ask about Ireland's undersea cables because France has an interest in that, you know, because they, they go through, through Irish EEZ and stuff. No, 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 we just want to talk about the policing and cooperation. So I thought, ah, oh, Frig, here we go. This is going to be a five minute interview and it's going to be embarrassed and I'm going to be scundered as you say up north and it's, I'm going to sit there and go, what are we going to talk about? But he was a lovely man. We are chatting away and we started getting into it and he just mentioned guards going to France. And I remember last year I did a story about a, I think it was two guards he went over to Mont Saint-Michel in Normandy on a wee pilot scheme to look after Irish tourists, right? But he volunteered and he said, yes, and that's being extended and they're coming back next year and we're, they're going to do Giverny, which is near Paris, a place in the Loire Valley. And then he said, Disneyland. And I went, they're going to Disneyland? Yes, yes, yes. And he told us the whole thing. An ambassador on the record saying they're going to Disneyland. So I, I, I came out, and you'll understand this, but I came out going, this is a fucking brilliant story. But I thought it was a funny story, right? I thought it was a quirky story, right? So... It, it it was in the paper and it was up online and it just exploded. Did you see the backlash coming or was it only in hindsight you went, oh? As the French say, absolument pas. I did not have a Scooby. Uh, my first indication was, I was up on Twitter and you know, you know, you, you never look at the replies. So I had it up on Twitter and somebody said, why are they going to France when they can't even patrol O'Connell Street? And I went, okay, right. And then 10 minutes later, a buddy of mine rang me to say, listen, Catherine Murphy, coincidentally, has just raised this in the Public Accounts Committee. I went, oh shit, this shit's getting real. And then I looked on Twitter and there was a huge backlash. And then it was mentioned in the doll. So uh, I didn't see, I, 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 every day as a school day, I did not see this being, a, I thought it would be just a, fun, a funny story and everybody would go, oh, look at that and, and move on to something else. But it was, so there was a, there was significant consternation and there was, I have to say, consternation amongst Gardaí who are worried about the low numbers of the guards and several of them were going, we can't even get people to respond to uh, something major. And the depot as the headquarters are sending people to France. What's going on? So guards were angry about this, right? So uh, there was a, there, there was a, uh, what's the word? A sequel with you today in relation to this. Well, like, isn't it mad how, I suppose, depending upon the public reaction that, that uh, certain people's position can magically change. Because obviously, like, there must be something to it, given the French ambassadors out, outright said it to you on the record. I mean, there must have been some plan in place. But I'll, I'll, I'll amuse you here. I, 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 
I'm not going to name the person because obviously that wouldn't be fair. Uh, but but I think the view from Garda management, Garda headquarters now is uh, backtracking a little bit and sort of saying that there is no application for approval for Garda to travel in general. Uh, I won't say what the rest of the message says, but it's basically... Uh, putting it back onto the French ambassador and saying you'll need to ask him. Well, <laughs> yes. So I've been doing a little bit of digging about this. Uh, right. And I, I'm sorry, you know, you do not fuck around the part with the ambassador of a very powerful country like France. You don't. So no, nobody's going to say the ambassador was lying. I've been carrying out my own investigations and I did because I know uh, you, you, Simon Harris will talk about Simon Harris said something today about it. What did he yeah. say? And then I can contextualise. Yeah, well, 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 sorry. Yeah, we, 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 were, we were at, which we'll talk about in a minute. We were at, uh, at the ceremony for um, Walter Scott medals were being handed out to very brave members of Garda Shikana and Simon Harris uh, was there, uh, obviously as the Minister for Justice and he did a doorstep afterwards and he was asked about your report and uh, about guards going to Disneyland. I'm paraphrasing a bit here, but I can recall him saying, uh, let's take a step back from this, which you know, straight away is, okay, right. Um, and he basically downplayed it and said uh, that there, were, there that no application has uh, been made to the government about sending guards to Disneyland. He kind of said that in general, he isn't necessarily against a small cohort of Gardaí going across and, and patrolling in other countries such as France. But in terms of Disneyland, he basically downplayed it and stated that he wouldn't be for it. Like, it didn't say outright that he wouldn't be for it, but suggested that's not going to happen. And also was was making that point that no application, no formal application has been made. And now the view from Garda headquarters is the same uh, you know, oh, no application's been made. So, or maybe it was floated, but nothing has officially been. It's backtracking. It's backtracking because of the. Yeah. I can, I, because of the so reaction. <laughs> I, I, I've scuppered a nice sweet trip. For, by the way, what's the difference between going to Disneyland and Mont Saint Michel? They're both a haven for Irish tourists. What is the difference? Just because it says Disneyland? I don't understand what that thing there is. It's because they just can't fathom the the uh, the image of having a, a Garda maybe photograph next to Mickey Mouse when they should be maybe here on the streets and the the, the image that it uh, portrays I guess right so here's what I say here's here's what I think uh, and I'd be pretty happy about this the ambassador said it on the record and he said it unbidden so if the ambassador was talking about it I think he has significant credibility now what I will say that's I got that on a Wednesday I did contact uh, got the Garda and the Department of Justice to tell them I was doing the story and to put, que uh, and to put questions to various people. So it will not have come as a shock to senior Garda or senior members of the Department of Justice when that story appeared. It's our due diligence. We have to, the ambassador has said this. So, you know, I didn't do a flyer and not tell them. So people were aware. So what I think, no, what you, I would you, believe... You've, and You've got somebody on the record saying it's just not it's like... the ambassador. Yeah. So... Here's what happened. Here's what I think happened. Uh, the minister's right, and it, it, we're into the world of people being Jesuitical, Jesuitical. And you and I know that people are being very good at being Jesuitical in, in the field in which you and I work. Um, yet it's probably correct that they haven't applied for it yet, but that's just a formality. But uh, there were plans underway to do that when I did my story. And I think I have 
fucked it up you think for the poor it? guards. Yeah, I, I think I think so. I feel really bad about that. Maybe it wasn't me. Maybe it was the reaction. Right, I just did my job. I was only, it was only what the yeah. ambassador told me. Like, yeah. but I, 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 I think I've, I've put a what's the word? I'm trying to think of a French pun. I think I've, I think I've messed up on that for, for those for the for the fur week guardie who were looking for a month. Do you think somebody, in Paris? somebody behind the scenes there now is after fuck's sake, Robert? You, we're not sending the fucking lads to Disneyland for God's sake. <laughs> I, I, th- I think that's exactly what's going to happen. And I'm very sorry. All the lads in the depot or all the lads who were getting their applications in. Just be fashion desolé. Very good. Well, it's a good story. Uh, that was a great story. It's always great when you get that kind of reaction. I, I just hate when they, they try to take a shit on it and kind of almost imply that it's... Uh, Oh, that that's not true. Like it's it's more just like it was definitely floated, but uh, we don't like the reaction, so it's not happening now. And uh... <laughs> I, I, yeah. And what what saved me, I think, was that we had a man who's called His Excellency. Uh, he said it, saying it on the record. So it, if they're if they're crapping on the story, they're crapping on the His Excellency. They're not crapping on Pruey Mikko Toole, who just did his job and and got it out of him. So if those people have problems, talk to Mister uh, Gerald. He lives across the road from <laughs> Marion Street. Or the, so he's I not that far I away. I love the the reaction of everybody to it. It's, I mean, that's that's the sign of a good story, isn't it? I I, I wanted to put out that meme that escalated quickly. You know the one. Oh yeah. <laughs> I, I, I was going to tweet that out, so instead I put it. Somebody sent me a picture of Temple Moor, uh, Garda College, and they had superimposed the, the Disney land sign on the on the gate so I, I put that out instead so she has got some reaction but i have to say it did um i just want to talk about uh, briefly just i was, I was uh, earlier today i was at the ceremony as i mentioned uh for 11 brave members on guard she connor who were handed the walter scott medal uh, effectively it's a medal for for bravery and for carrying out extraordinary duties in in life-threatening circumstances um and uh, there were a fair, fair there were two uh, post hominis awards for two brave guardi who have passed away one of them uh, in the line of duty um, and then there, there were also just I mean three officers I think that you'd be familiar with this incident and I'll just mention this incident first because it, it was in the news not too long ago uh, this is in relation to Derek Butler Devoy so Butler Devoy an extremely volatile and dangerous criminal. Uh, we had been writing about him on and off over the years. Um, and I believe there was, I can, if you I remember the, the uh, time that there was an assassination attempt on him, and I think uh, his sister was murdered. Do you recall that? Yes, his sister was, was murdered and someone else who was in the house was murdered. A friend, sh- yeah. Yeah, uh, he was a young fellow from Swords, I seem to recall. So this was, it was August 2016 and it was at the height of the Kin in Hutch feud and everybody thought it was that originally. Yeah, um, uh, and it wasn't, but somebody who was a victim in that feud would have been a suspect for that murder. Very, very dangerous man in his own right. Yes. Yes, I know who you're talking about. Yes. Yeah, so look, I mean, he's dead, so there's no point, but, you know, he, 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 he was definitely a suspect for that. Um, he was, that was a horrendous murder. It was a machine pistol they used um, and they sprayed the house and poor people didn't have a chance. Really, really callous. But yeah, his sister was murdered and the, the poor other man. But yeah, Derek uh, Butler would be very well known guard, the guardie, shall we say. Yes. And this this particular incident uh, that the, these three brave members were awarded the Silver Scott Medal for, it happened in March of 2019. 
um, so the year before the pandemic it seems like longer it's just I suppose it is what four years but that was a, a crazy incident where Botter Devoy was off his head on whatever uh, totally intoxicated and was roaming the streets uh, in Poppentry in Ballymun uh, with a semi-automatic weapon in hand uh, the guards received reports of him going around the streets and they, they bravely went to apprehend him. Uh, he then went and barricaded himself into a house and uh, ran upstairs into a bathroom, <clears throat> locked himself into the bathroom with the semi-automatic weapon in tow. Um, so Sergeant Andrew O'Connor, uh, Detective Garda Niall Minock and Garda Connor Garland were all involved uh, in this incident uh, and very bravely made their way into the house uh, while Butler Devoy fired shots, uh, narrowly missed one of them, actually hit, hit, hit the wall. Um, and they had to get their way into that bathroom uh, and tackle him. Uh, he wasn't going to come uh, quickly or easily and they did their best to apprehend him and get the gun off him, kicked it across the floor. Um, and then uh, they only subsequently realized uh, after lifting him that there was this live grenade uh, in the bathroom. Um, his intention, I don't know, to blow them and himself up potentially. That's how off his face he was. Um, and they were very lucky to get out of there alive. And they saved lives. There's no doubt about it that they saved lives that day. I mean, someone off their head like that walking around with a semi auto, uh, it could have gone completely sideways and you you said one word that jumped out at me there there was a detective there was detective uh, o'connor detective Gardo o'connor was it not uh niall minnock sorry niall minnock so he was a detective and and sergeant andrew O'Connor. right was 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 sergeant o'connor was he a deal was he a detective or was he was he uniformed you know or plain clothes or i'll tell you what i'm getting at i'll tell you what i'm getting at right and it, it doesn't matter because it, it, we know that one is detective Gardo minnock was an armed detective right so he had a gun and look how this ended they didn't shoot him. And I'm constantly amazed by this. I mean, I've covered plenty of cases where armed guardy have had guns pointed at them, right? That man was shooting at them and they don't, they don't fire back. They, I remember years ago, and I always remember this when there's a detective guard called Donald Tully and he was involved in, a, it was NBCI or something. And there, there were, he was in a van that was, they knew it was going to happen. And he was working, he was in a van with a, a bookie who was going to be robbed and the guards knew about this. So he was the poor fella who had to sit in with the, 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 the bookie when it was robbed. And a couple of armed men robbed, attacked the van and they arrested him, right? But that one of those men pointed a gun at Detective Garda Tully, right? Who carries a gun himself and he, and he knocked him to the ground. He didn't shoot him. Now he got a. I mean, I remember because I interviewed him when he got the Scott Medal. He won for that way back in the day. It was two thousand and eight or something. But that's another case, like Detective Garda Minnick. Both those men would have been well within their rights. Shoot! If this had been America, they would have shot that man. No question. So this doesn't get spoken about enough, in my opinion. Only the guards get all the grief and all the criticism. But there are plenty of occasions. I would say several times every year when Gardy have firearms pointed at them. And they do not shoot. They go and resolve it in other ways. Well, yeah, well, another good example of that was raised again today. Um, other members that were also uh, also received the, the Scott Medal uh, for an incident, if you recall, in 2020, February 2020, this fella went on a rampage in the Glenties in Donegal. Uh, um, uh, Steve, uh, sorry, where's his name? Um, Stephen Dowling. Um, and uh, again, cocaine and alcohol 
played a role in this case and and this guy um kind of a relative unknown but he was just on a mad one uh, a hunt a huntsman and he was going around with this rifle firing shots in the glenties in a, a relatively quiet town and and these uh, guards uh, uh, guard sergeant edward griffin was was one of them um apprehended him they didn't fire a single shot at him either uh, they, they they and this guy was firing shots at them but they they apprehended him uh, and and successfully uh did so without anybody uh, being put in any direct harm's way. Yeah, and, and it's, it's, you raised a valid point because I was listening to on Morning Ireland one of the one of the Guardi gave an interview to, to Morning Ireland about it, and he just said, you know, they, they were trying to corral him in one patrol car at one end, one patrol car at the other to, to protect people to keep them away from the scene, and he said, and the Milford Detective Unit just arrived, and he started firing at them. Now, mm. Paul, you and I know detectives carry guns. Yes. So that's why they were the armed backup. And they didn't shoot back. I think it's really... I know there are issues people may want to raise and various things have been investigated by GSOC and stuff. But I think it's quite remarkable the number of occasions that Guardi are faced with someone with a gun pointing at them and shooting at them and they don't fire back. I really think it's remarkable. It's incredibly brave. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, as Sergeant Edward Griffin, we spoke to him afterwards and he said that it's a miracle that, that nobody was killed. Anybody could have been killed that day. Um... And he was he was very humble about it. I mean, as as guards often do, I find they refer in the third person. You might ask them, "How did you feel about that?" And they they'd say, "Well, you'd feel, you know." I mean, they're they're very humble about the experience. I mean, they've gone through an experience that no one should ever have to go through, and it's unmanageable. But incredibly humble about it, and that was something that came across in the ceremony today. Um, that you know, I suppose they put themselves in harm's way every day. Uh, and the, the, I think I think the commissioner actually said it that real bravery, it's not really about uh, <clears throat> not being afraid. In fact, most of the time you are afraid. You're you're absolutely terrified. But it's about putting that fear to one side and acting anyway. And and you know I'm sure that all of those guards were absolutely terrified. Yet they acted in spite of that. You know. So I mean, that takes incredible resilience and courage. And thank God we have people like that that are willing to do that because I can't imagine. Uh, wanting to put myself in harm's way like that, but thank God we have people that that are willing to. I'm always struck. I mean, I've I would go to a lot of Scott Medal presentation ceremonies, particularly in Templemore, the Garda College, and you're talking to them, and I have to say, yeah, I would agree with you. I'm always struck by their humility. It's as if they're almost trying to bat away the praise, and they'll say, "Ah, oh, look, it wasn't just me. It was Detective Garda X or Inspector Y or whatever." They try and make it a a, a team thing. I can remember guards being shot at. I mean, you know, at uniform guards being shot at and everything. You know, and they're always very. They don't. They don't make light of it, but they definitely try to minimise their their role in things when their roles were maximum because that's why they get the awards. Yeah, it, 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 and it's great to see that that work acknowledged. And I mean, there are many guards, I suppose, that go through their whole career without having their job acknowledged, and 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 sadly. Um, there were two members there uh, post-hominously awarded, you know. Um, so, you know, I suppose they can't award everybody, but it, it, each and every day those guards go out not knowing what they're going to face. So, as I said, just thank God that we have people that are willing to do that. And I don't want to ambush you, Paul. Did anybody get the, the, the gold medal? Uh, the, the gold award went to uh, the, the now sadly deceased uh, Inspector Samuel Donegan. Uh, he, was, he was killed on the the cabin from Anna border in 1972 so uh he he was um 
attending to a, a device, a suspected device, and, and sadly uh, that device uh, exploded and, and it claimed his life and, and his son John Dunnigan um, accepted that award and you could see he was very emotional um, and he said that uh, sorrow entered our lives that day and we still have that, it's had an awful effect on all of our lives. He spoke about um, his mother, how she lived for another 36 years and but but she spoke about about him every day um, and yeah, uh, it was, it was it, I mean there was a standing ovation uh, for, for, for Mr. Donegan um, and it, you could tell that it meant a lot for him even though it has been many years since his his father was sadly killed, uh, that was a moment of 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 huge honour for him and his family. That I think that was that nineteen seventy two. Yes. Yeah, he was an inspector. I remember. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. I remember covering the case. Oh God, love him. Yeah, but it is very rare. I mean, I've looked at other cases where people get to go. The there, I think there's three brands. There are branches. There's the silver, bronze, and gold. And you look and go, but you can see it, it for the gold. It is sort of superhuman, and it's and often it's they they. If they pay the ultimate price and they die on duty. That's it. Yeah, I mean, it, it, um, it's very sad. I, I suppose it's meaningful to his family to have that acknowledged after all this time, you know. And you could tell, you could tell that. Um, shall we leave it there? Because yes, but uh, we've got lots to do later on. Lots to do later on. Um, we we are thinking about doing a podcast on Madeline McCann. We may have that for you next week. Uh, so hope you tune in. Thanks for listening. Thanks very much, everybody.